0: Hi there, and welcome to Be a Global Citizen, the podcast that explores the concept of global citizenship through the lens of value creating education. My name is Scott Bauer, and I'm a SOCA researcher and educator. I hope you find the discussions, stories, and insights on this podcast to be valuable and inspiring, as we strive to become global citizens who are committed to living a contributive life. Today on the podcast, I spoke with Natalia Vanegas about her thoughts on global citizenship. Natalia is a school principal at Community Prep. She she was born in Columbia and lives in Providence, Rhode Island. She speaks about immigration, empathy, and connection. There are fascinating parallels with her own immigrant story and the myriad stories of students and their families that she serves as an education leader. Enjoy the conversation.
1: My name is Natalia Vanegas, and I'm actually a resident of Rhode Island, the smallest state in the U.S., and I am currently a principal at a small school, community prep school in Providence, Rhode Island.
0: Hi, Natalia. Thank you so much for being on my podcast, and it's so great to have you. Um, you have such a wealth of of teaching experience and also within education leadership. You know, you're taking the helm of the school that you have uh, been, been teaching at for many years and now you are the principal and you know I'm sure that that comes with exciting new prospects new responsibilities and also some great challenges and so um I'm I'm curious to to hear some some of your stories because you know teachers always tend to have the best stories I think and Mm -hmm. um you know definitely we'll, we'll dig into that a little bit um and yeah and you know Rhode Island I don't think I think you're the first person um you know that I've interviewed from from Rhode Island so small but mighty right
1: Yes, small but mighty, little roadie. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I'd love to hear more about about that. Just kind of your surroundings, maybe how that influences the the the, the learning environment uh, where your school is situated. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much. And um, you know, you, you're you're a school principal. Um, the question being, like, how does one get to to be a school principal? But I think also just kind of what led you into the path, like into this area of, of education as well, if you can maybe share a little bit about the, the, the origin story of kind of what led you to education, what, what were some milestones in your teaching career, and then right now as principal, kind of, um, what are some of the things that you're grappling with in this current moment.
1: All right. Well, my story starts in Colombia, actually. Um, I was born in Colombia, and my family immigrated to the United States, my and myself and my sisters, when in 1983. So I was four, almost five. And back then in Colombia, there was a lot of turmoil with the FARC, like the anti-government group, and it was a very dangerous place. And where my family is from, um, we're very close to that area. So my parents and my uncles, a lot of family, made the decision to we need to leave Columbia. And that's when um, the textile companies were going to Columbia, the ones from Rhode Island, were going to Colombia and actually seeking young men to work their factories. And they were giving them working papers. Make a long story short, we made it to the United States. Um, unbeknownst to my sisters and I, we were not legal actually. We were undocumented for many years. And that explains a lot how we moved around. And I am a product of the public schools. And eventually, you know, and that's a story for another podcast on how um, we became legal. But um, so we moved around a lot through Rhode Island. At one point, we ended up in Florida and came back. And I went to classical high school, which is a Providence public school. It's one of the best. And it's ranked high in the country because to get in, you have to apply. And it's all college prep. And from there, I actually attended Rhode Island College and I knew I'm the first one in my family to go to college in the United States, but I also knew because we were pretty poor growing up that college was going to be up to me to figure out and finance. And that's why I ended up at Rhode Island College, because I ended up getting a full um, scholarship there. So my parents were very proud. They gave me their blessings and I went there and they had a really good teaching program. And so I said, hey, I'll try it out. I was always a good student and I love learning. So it just made it all work out together. I went to RIC. I graduated with a degree in um, elementary education, middle school endorsement. And I also did a major in Spanish because I wanted to keep my language and be able to read it and write and be fully bilingual. Worked in the public sector. And when I landed in 2005, I landed at community prep school. And I kid you not that after my first day of school, I went home and told my mom, like when I went to go pick up my daughter, I said, mom, this is the place where I'll retire from. And she goes, oh, you're so young in your career. You might change your mind. I said, no, I think I'm sure this is the place for me. And that place, I love it because um, the staff uh, represents the demographic of students that we serve. Um, more than 60% of our students are either immigrants or children of immigrants. And we have a very diverse population of students um, and we're very inclusive. And we, are, our staff is the same way, it represents that demographic. And I remember growing up, I think I have one teacher of color throughout my whole history before I went to college. And I never really used to see teachers uh, and could relate to them. They were always predominantly Uh, female you know Caucasian women and once in a while I would have a male that was in my older years and then through the years at community prep I sought out other professional development became a blended learning certified teacher coach did a little bit of that and then a couple years ago I made the decision that I was ready to leave the classroom and I wanted to make a bigger impact and I think that um what I wanted to do and the impact I wanted to have was very limited. If I stayed as a classroom teacher, I felt like I needed to be at the table where decisions were made that were impacting our teachers. And so that's when I made that decision and I was actually going to leave community prep, but it just was working out that the um, principal then was actually uh, moving on from that role. And there were other changes and openings. So I applied for the position and here we are.
0: Here we are, right? Thank, Thank you so you. much. That was very succinct. I know so much. You know, we could probably unpack. Um, and you know, I always find it it very important to to understand the roots, kind of where you you came from, because you mentioned that uh, you were born in Colombia. Um, you left when you were four or five years old, mm-hmm. and um, you know, the situation in in Colombia was you know akin to a, a war zone, right? Because of uh, this 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 very militant group. This kind of back and forth between them and the government, and you know, innocent civilians kind of in the crosshairs uh, or the crossfire uh, of that. And you know, you mentioned it was the the, the FARC. Is that was it Fuerzas yeah, yeah. Revolucionarias de Colombia, right? So like, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I have I know a little bit about the FARC, but um, you know, I- I'm curious, like, if you can maybe share. A, a memory uh, of of your your brief time in Colombia. Maybe it's related only to the FARC, or maybe there's something else that you felt was significant. Something that you uh, maybe held on to, carried with you when you uh, moved from Colombia to Rhode Island. Because you know, four or five years, you, you you your initial childhood right was right there. So anything kind of come to mind?
1: Um, one thing that comes to mind is so. In Columbia, back then, when you were four, you would actually go to kindergarten. You didn't have to wait until you were five. And I remember that um, going to school, um, I think it was, best of my memory, maybe a block or two away. It was fairly close from what I recall. And even though we walked to school with my mom and my older sister, and my younger sister was too little to be in school, my mom was always very like nervous, looking behind her, and and I remember she would always take off her necklace before we left the house when we were going for walks. And um, she never took a purse either. And I didn't realize that I thought it was just a normal thing. And I remember like when I was seven or eight here in the States, my mom, when we would walk to school, she had her purse, she had her necklace. And, and then I remember telling her, I said, Ma, why aren't you taking off your necklace? And we're, we're walking. And she goes, oh, no, no, we're not in Colombia. We're safe here.
0: Yeah, I think safety isn't so important, right?
1: She didn't feel safe. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, that's interesting. And when I was young, I just thought it was normal. Oh, when you go for a walk, you take off your jewelry and you don't take a purse. And when I asked her, she and she's like, no, no, we're not in Colombia. I feel safe here. Mm
0: -hmm. That stuck
1: with me. And I'm like, now I understand.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think... Wow, yeah, it's just very interesting. That's that's one of the initial memories that kind of jumps out, um, and I think that's something that many um, many people just from I would say South America in general. Like uh, I'm just thinking about like um, there were there were militant groups um, from um, that, that were operating in like Lima, Peru as well. The the Shining Path, the Sendero Luminoso. And um, I had spent a brief amount of time living in in Lima for a study abroad, and then I, I I worked there for a little bit. And there was there was always this kind of climate of of suspicion and fear, right? Of like I can't quite trust the person next to me, you know, unless they're family. Once you're family, oh, it's, it's you know, mean, yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. But. How, what you described about like kind of taking these precautions to take you know like not having anything too flashy in terms of like value like uh, earrings and necklaces and and just trying to just get from point A to point B and be safe um I think that yeah, it definitely leaves a lasting impression and and I'm sure like when you um, got older and you learned more about that history about what was happening, um, you know you were able to have even more appreciation for the very courageous decision of your your family to yes. leave that because, you know, the opportunities afforded to you in your education um, have led you, you know, to where you are now. Um, and, you know, one thing leading into the next, right?
1: 100%. Yes.
0: Wow. Well, th- yeah, thank you for, for sharing that. And so, you know, leaving that that difficult situation, Um, it's not like you suddenly found yourself in paradise or your parents, suddenly everything was just given to them and it was wonderful. And, you know, the U S just arms wide open. (laughs) They're so happy and accommodating. Um, You said that both you and your sister were were undocumented uh, for, for, for some time um, and that your parents probably had to, you know, make ends meet. So could you share a little bit about that transition period and kind of what what it was like um, for you kind of um, adjusting Mm -hmm. to life in the U.S., just from your perspective.
1: Yeah, from my perspective, I remember, like, so my mom was actually a nurse in Colombia, and uh, my dad was, he worked the textile companies here, he ended up here as well, and um, when we came to the United States, my mom actually worked in a factory, because she didn't speak English, and she didn't have, she was undocumented as well. And, um, she did many years of jewelry work. And I remember she, she worked the first shift and my dad worked second shift. So somebody could always be home for the kids. And he always would take on some weekend job, whatever he could do. And so money was tight. We, my parents never owned a home. We were renters and, we saw how hard they work. And my mom would always say uh, you're here in the United States because this is the land of opportunity and you, and you can go to school, no matter how poor you are, you can still go to school. And that stuck with us. And she said, I don't care what you and your sisters pursue, but you're going to school and you're going to make the best out of it. Cause that's what we came here for. And, you, and I want you to feel safe. And I remember that, like my mom learned some English through the years, but I was the default interpreter for the for the house so every time we went to parent conferences everyone every time we went somewhere Natalia was the one that would go because I was the one she would trust that would tell the truth like when I had to go to parent conferences for my sisters I'm the one that had to translate which made me uncomfortable sometimes (laughs) Uh, because sometimes I wouldn't say the whole story not to get my sisters in trouble but uh, yeah they owe me that they owe me for that but um it was just very difficult on my parents and I can see it now. Like, and it was, and my mom was very proud when I went to college because I think for her, it was like, this is what it's about. And, um, because she never, I always used to ask her mom, why don't you try to go to night school and become certified after we were legal? And she was legal as well. Um, and become a nurse here. And she said, Oh, um, I think she just gave up on that. And she was settled. She's like, I'm older now. And I did my I did my service there in Colombia and I made that sacrifice. We made that sacrifice for you girls here. And and she was good and she was happy with that decision. Um, and Regarding my dad, he learned more. He learned a lot of English through his job. And one thing that he did was he um. so factories don't operate the, now the way they used to back then. Back then, like um, the people would actually operate some of the machines. And some of those textile companies like for um, Rhode Island was big for that. And that's why there were a lot of Colombians in the 80s in Rhode Island. But um, they ended up moving overseas and the few factories that stayed, some of them are so were older that a lot of people don't know how to fix them. And I remember like when I was in middle school and high school, he would travel a lot like to Texas or other states where they would pay him to go fix their their machines because like it's it was becoming a lower um, art and a lot of people didn't know how to do that anymore. And he was like one of the few. So my mom was very proud of him because like she saw he was making an impact. It's like, oh, well, they need him to go here and there. But I know he was not paid what he he probably would have been paid if he had gotten a degree and if his circumstance wasn't what it was.
0: Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing more about your, your parents. Mm-hmm. I mean, parents have such a, a big impact, right? On, they do. On, on children. And when you're going through such a, a big transition, and it's 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 weighing heavy on on everyone, um, to to make ends meet. But then also, you know, what you shared about like the sacrifices that both your parents made so that you and your your younger sister could have a better life uh, with these opportunities, um, that really speaks to this 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 idea of the American dream, right? Uh, this is something that you know even my my mom, who is an immigrant herself um speaks a lot about right? this this unwavering
1: mm-hmm. belief
0: that you know through education your circumstances will get better. Yes. And and in your case and then i would say also in in my case although i think um it's hard to to you know it's hard to equate like one for one like you know everyone's experiences are so different even with yes. you know, someone having a, a one parent or both parents being immigrants. Um, but, you know, it's still, I think that there's like this, this belief, and um, I'm, I'm so happy that, you know, through, you know, tenacity, through just sheer willpower, um, you know, you were you and your sister were, you know, afforded this opportunity to like really kind of advance and, um, you know, create lives that both your parents are, are very proud of, right? And sure. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I just think that that's really awesome. Uh, I also wanted to point out that my mom is also a nurse.
1: Oh nice, so sweet.
0: Yeah. And then the whole like shifting um, their work schedule so that at least one parent would be uh, with mm-hmm. with the kids. Um, yes. I think is such like an incredible consideration on like the parents' yes. part to you know, really have that that presence, um, you know, and that support. So you know, I think that's just that's wonderful, wonderful parenting. So just wanted to point that out and um, and so, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm like learning more about this background of yours., um, you know, I, I thought it's it's really beautiful how you found yourself at a school like community prep, where the demographics of the students, as well as, you know, the the kind of the 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 racial, ethnic makeup of the teachers and staff really reflects, you know the the wider community and also has this strong tie-in to to your own personal experiences. Um, I wanted to ask, like, um what what has that experience been like for you um, where you can really see yourself like a younger version of yourself in your in your students? or you know, how has that um, made for like more positive exchanges with your staff, uh, with your teachers, in terms of, you know, getting on the same page because now as a principal, I would imagine that's really important, you know, to have that that trust established to have that shared, Vision moving forward, so um you know just from like the lens of okay this is the demographics of my school um how has that really allowed you to be um, a more compassionate and effective leader?
1: Um, I'll even go back to like when I was a teacher. Like, um, I've learned a lot about myself being um a, being at the school working um there. Because one thing that I've learned in the compassion part, that um a lot of times when uh parents didn't show up to a meeting or didn't respond to an email or where um something happened, I never just assumed it was that they didn't care or that they were too busy. Because I remember that my parents did not have the privilege to say, I'm leaving work early, my kid is sick, or I can, can I take a day off because my child has a play? Um, And some of these parents are um hourly workers and worker where they don't have that, you know, leniency in their jobs. So I always started from a place of finding out what their situation was. And I always tried to accommodate that. Like sometimes my, when we have goal conferences I would make them available also in the evenings and in the mornings. um. I always think I even offered my translation services to other teachers, my colleagues, when I was a teacher. And I said, if you have a family who needs translation, let me know and we can work something out. Because I remember remember when I shared with you earlier how uncomfortable sometimes it made me that I had to be a translator for my sisters because I didn't want to get them in trouble. Um, even the way we communicated with, like just little things like that go a long way. And I noticed that like when I was a teacher, parents were always so grateful. They would say, oh, thank you. Like whenever I would send out an email, I would send it in both English and Spanish. And many times I would actually send a paper home because we assume that people check their emails every day, but some people really don't. Um, Just like things like that, that I'm like, and it's not because they can't read or anything like that. It's just, they don't, they don't have a need for it. So a lot of times it's like I don't assume I just ask and I always say what works for you and I don't assume that I know what works better cuz I'm not there to be anyone's savior but I'm there to make it um make it um easy for both parties so we can communicate cuz we're all there for the students so whatever can help us um communicate better will also impact the student like that and now in the role of principal like I said when I was a teacher I could only control what was happening in my classroom with my kids and I can only have um, impact over that. And I, even though I would offer that, it's just a colleague to a colleague. Now I'm setting that tone and I'm starting to see it more where I say, I don't say, well, let me, uh, if you would like me there, I said, if a parent um, is not English speaking, let me know. And we, uh, so I can be there to translate. If you're sending any big mail-ins, just give me one day turnaround and send it my way and I will give you the translation. And I don't, it's not like I'm there to censor what they're doing, but so I'm putting it more like passing my way. Yes, I'm creating more work for myself in some ways, but it's very rewarding because the turnout for certain certain things is because now I know that these parents are in the know. It's access. And I explained that one of the teachers like, oh, but you're creating all this work for yourself. I said, I understand, but I I also know how many families were impact, impacting. So we have 130 students and I would say at least 40 families benefit from that that's a big percentage, it's worth it. And I love that when parents call me and I think they're so comfortable, like their first reactions, like when I'm principal, all the new families coming in and they meet me and I always, and the way they say hello and the way, and then I introduce myself and I purposely pronounce my name in Spanish. So like that they know, and then they'll ask me, you speak Spanish? Then I start talking in Spanish. And I love it because I guess they're so comfortable and they will always, they call me, they reach out to me when they have a question and they always start off with "I'm so sorry to bother you," and I always say it's no bother. It's my job. I'm here to serve you. And there, so I like the connections that I'm making with them.
0: Mm, wow. And yeah. It, there's so it, much, so many amazing things yeah. that you shared there. Um, especially at the very end, this mentality as as a as a school leader as the principal, um, and also you know I would say it goes the same when you were a teacher, but you were there to serve the yeah, students, yes. right? Yeah. Most importantly and then by extension serving their families who yes. are you know caring for them and i think that's so important um the fact that you're so conscious of like you know the 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 population that you're you're serving and that you know you want to make it clear that you can you can code switch right and you do that in a very like you know kind of very subtle um and very you know elegant way of just how you pronounce your name in spanish i think that's that's wonderful right because you don't want to have this kind of, you know, like, oh, I could speak both languages, you know, like, which one do you do? And like kind of putting down, like, undervaluing exactly. one language over the other. Um, I think that's, you know, that's, that's a certain sensitivity that only comes from personal experience of having, you know, maybe been talked down to, or you're seeing your, your, your parents being kind of, like, spoken to, where it's like, oh, why, why don't you know English? When it's like, no, they, they just need to understand, like, they, they, they're perfectly competent. And, just you know it's the language part is it's different right um
1: yeah I like that you mentioned that because one thing that I'll say that is very um I think it's so offensive and it's hap- it it's happened to me in the past and it used to happen to my to my dad that just because someone has a thick accent doesn't mean they can't understand and I don't want and even if I if I'm talking to a parent and they're um Not as comfortable speaking in English, but they know that I speak Spanish. But I don't. I don't just talk talking in Spanish. I'm like, would you like to speak in English or Spanish? Your choice. Whatever you're like your choice. I don't even say whatever you're comfortable with. It's your choice. So if they want to speak to me in English, I will pursue it and continue it. Like I respect that from them, and they're trying. So that's another thing when you said about the sensitivity thing, because I think back to like the things that I witnessed growing up, the little microaggressions or just. The things that people sometimes do that they don't they're not aware and the impact they have they had on me and but so i try to avoid that i'm part of that problem yeah <laughs>
0: that and, and mean, you know and you're yeah. just like you're you're yeah. over communicating but in in, yeah. in the best possible way where you're not assuming and you're exactly. giving you're giving the options and mm-hmm. you're you're the the kind of leader where you're you know dynamic enough and you have the skills where you can you know engage in different ways um, yes not just with like one is like English, Spanish. I mean, I'm sure there's many other, you know, things in your toolkit that you can, oh, yes. yeah. or like, you know, various um, individuals from the school community that you can kind of pull into the conversation um, that would help. Yeah. Have the, the parents at, at ease. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's just like, like such great empathy as well of like having been in the situation where you had to translate when you were younger and knowing that that can cause problems right that that can cause um you know some difficult decisions on the part of the translator who's having to convey sometimes very sensitive information or information that might you know either get them in trouble on one end or the other end and yeah. um and that's not that's not the point of it you know that shouldn't be happening so um in many, in many ways i see like from you know what i'm gathering from um this this conversation is that um, you've really had to serve as like a a, a bridge between cultures, um, and to you know connect individuals so that you know they're, they're at a common ground. And I think um, you know that's that's a skill that you've had to hone uh, since you moving to the U.S. Right. Um, so that's that's I think really really important. And I feel like that also has a lot of tie-in with this concept of of global citizenship kind of how you navigate different cultures. How do you respond to challenging situations, right? Like, again, the example of translating for your parents. <laughs> how do you respond to not getting your your sister in trouble because they did something? You know, you want to be, you know, on good terms with both, but you can't necessarily have it all um, without kind of telling a little white lie or, you know, yeah omitting certain information's Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I, I'd love to hear um, your, your thoughts about this, this term global citizenship. Is it something that, that you frequently bring up in conversations with your, your colleagues, or would you say it's something that like, you kind of, you kind of implicitly know, but it's not something that is really kind of brought out uh, in daily conversation, Because kind of like, what is, where, where are you at with this, this concept in your, you know, your, your life right now?
1: The first time that anyone brought up this term to me was actually you uh, in the summer when we were talking and you were asking me about my perspective. And I was honest and I said, "Hmm, I really never thought about it because it's never been brought up to my attention. So when I knew that we were going to be doing this podcast, I did some researching. (laughs) But before I did, uh, I thought about it. I said, and then I remember what we spoke about. And Socrates said it best and in, in my research, and it was um talking about that um there's that one quote where he said, "I'm not a citizen of like Athens Greece, but I'm a citizen of the world. So I'm pretty sure that um, and that was that came up somewhere in my one of my Google searches, so it's not me like making this on my own. And it just got me thinking about like a lot of the things that every we all we're all go, global citizens, whether we uh, know about the term, or because what we do, or our, all our little actions have an uh, impact on others, and have an which have impact on others. And I think that um, it's a journey that we're all on and the trajectory of it is our choice. And that's like the conclusion I've come to. So like. And I was on this global citizenship journey and I didn't I wasn't aware until you brought this to my attention and I started Googling and then I reflected. And even just professionally or like my or even personally, like my life's journey, my family's journey, like uh what we're what I'm doing right now, like me being the first member of my whole family going to Harvard, like they're talking about it in Columbia, like uh and I didn't mention this in the podcast, I mean, early in the podcast, but it lends itself to this. Like eventually my dad ended up moving back to Columbia in my older years. So I remember he sent me a a message when I I sent him a picture of my uh, Harvard ID. He's like, oh, I would love to have it so I could carry it in my wallet. It's like, he's so proud. And here I am. I'm like, yeah, I'm just going here to Harvard, but my town's talking about it. So it just made me think about like, um uh, the impact that I'm doing now as a principal I think I can I have I'm in a role where I can influence more to make a greater impact even our students like them thinking about like at this age I don't think it's too young like that how their actions and what they can do like empower them like I know uh being a global citizen is not just a like it's also about like things you can do to better the world like being aware of things that are not just happening here in the United States but like things that are happening in other countries like what we're doing here with our trash, how we're taking care of our environment is also impacting the greater world. So you've given me a lot to think about now that we that I've gotten gone into this. And I really have been thinking about how I can, this is an opportunity for me to bring this into our school set in our space, because I think um it's something that um. Once you know about it, I think it's now almost like my responsibility to make sure that I'm being a ethical and responsible um citizen of the globe. And I think it's my calling to like continue this and whatever scale is uh manageable for me and sustainable. And the first place I'm going to start is since I'm the principal, I make a lot of um decisions, or I can um sway a lot in our curriculum really uh, putting this into our teachers, like our curriculum, how like culturally responsive is our pedagogy? Um, and where can we find places to really be more global? And that, not just in history, because I think sometimes um, we check off boxes. We say, oh, we do this because we do it here. But like, how are we doing that in the different disciplines and in the, our school celebrations and in other interactions within the day because we do our students represent the globe so it was a lot to think about
0: i'm happy to to hear that it sparked a lot of reflection and i really appreciate the the the, the honesty um, yeah. with you know how you first came across the the word itself just being like wow uh, actually no never never really thought about that um, and I think, you know, your, your reflection right now is, is so wonderful because, you know, as you share out your, your journey, right, um, mm-hmm. from Colombia to, to Rhode Island and then your, your, your professional career and how that's really transformed you over the years and uh, allowed you to interact with so many different families with similar and dissimilar backgrounds and how to really uplift them and, you know, empower them, inspire them. And, you know, there wasn't a a word, you know, maybe like explicit that could kind of speak to the entirety of, of those experiences, right, of the immigrant experience, of, you know, the language barriers, of the financial hardships, the struggle. But at the same time, I think, you know, words really are powerful identifiers that are not to kind of like stifle Uh, one's um, you know identity but to really encourage an expansion of like there's 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 this and then there's more right there's a way that you can kind of you know cultivate that growth mindset of wanting to push beyond just you know your immediate surroundings and to to have that awareness like you said of uh, other communities ways in which you can Support, um, and then also taking that responsibility of you know one's actions that you know really do have a ripple effect in in the wider world, um, and then you know your your piece about you know your father being very very proud uh, about your acceptance into Harvard and just mm-hmm. kind of the incredible journey that you know your whole family has been on to kind of for, that has made it possible for you to you know accept that. That, that spot in the cohort and then to say like, wow, like I've really made my community proud. I think that's also something that, you know, more and more is is needed in our interconnected world to have that notion of what is my community, but then also like how can I um, add value and really acknowledge that community in seen and unseen ways. So all of that, you know, really ties into this notion of a citizen of the world And i find it so it's it's so fun funny that you know you started off the podcast mentioning that you're from rhode island uh which is the the Mm -hmm. smallest state right (laughs) so small and and yet here we are talking about global citizenship which is so big i mean there's like you know i think it's it's interesting that you know you you oh i think it's wonderful um that you want to implement this this idea um, in, in, you know, myriad ways, um, as, as a school principal and, um, and, you know, it's just really just the spark, right. To kind of think about, well, I mean, is there potential here? How does it kind of, um, latch on to the, the imagination of, of your teachers and your students, you know, cause it has to resonate. Right. And otherwise yeah. it's going to get rejected and
1: mm-hmm. okay.
0: Uh, you know, that's, that's, a, that's another thing. Um, but yeah, I'm curious, like with, the research that you did, um, thinking about your school landscape. I mean, there's many other schools in in Rhode Island. Um, it's not so small that there's only one school, right, obviously. But yes, um, correct. would you say that, like, in a, in, in a general sense, um, Rhode Island just kind of keeps with, like, the kind of more local mentality? Um, like, how would they respond to something that's meant to kind of force them out of their comfort zone? Do you see, like, any... of possible like pushback or resistance to that Uh, i'm just curious like because you know i'm you haven't quite you're you're just kind of in that beginning phase of like i would like to apply this in some ways but as a you know school principal you also assess risk and you're probably thinking 10 steps ahead so you know what's kind of going through your mind given the the small state mentality of rhode island
1: there's a two-part answer to that so part one um. Yes, Rhode Island. We we are very uh. We like geographically since we're so small. <laughs> a, a lot of times we like to um get in those confines of thinking small. Um. Just for example, like um. I can go. I can drive three minutes and go to to a Dunkin' Donuts and three different fast food restaurants in any direction. And everything in my state, you can go from one end to the other in less than an hour. So, so I complain about a 15 minute commute to work. Exactly. And then people tell me, like that people that I know that are not from Rhode Island, they're like, it takes me 30 minutes to go to the supermarket. I said, oh no, that's too far. Um, so and we're a small network too. So a lot of times like in Rhode Island in community prep, even though we're um an independent school, we've been around, we're actually going to be celebrating 40 years this year. And our founding our in head of school is actually retiring and I noticed that um most of our students who apply it's all because of word of mouth because we're so small they're like and it's always I always ask oh how did you find out about hair about us oh either a sibling somebody they worked with a cousin or a friend told them about it so we do think small and we like to stay in our pocket of you know we're all physically close to each other but because community prep because of our population that we serve and because the staff we all have we come from different walks of life as well i think it's an opportunity for all of us and i can and you are right um scott i cannot go in there and say because i'm the principal and i heard about this i think we're gonna do it because (laughs) it won't work but our school we celebrate um the beloved community um concept from mlk and in that and, and in that um, thought process, we were very big on inclusivity and pretty much, I could talk to you a lot about it, but in the one liner is, it's like the message that we give our students and we actually have that in our mission, uh, in our mission and in our website, it's like everybody's a valued and respected member of our community and everybody has a value and a voice. So that being said, and we're all about looking at being equitable, we look at social justice, so we do a lot of that work in our small scale. I could use that as an opening to say, I know we do this work here with our beloved community and everything that we do in our school, but we could always expand it since we're global, and then find an entry point there, because I think, um, regardless of people's backgrounds, we can all really start thinking a little bigger or differently about it too. Like we're already doing this and how can we use what we already do and just start expanding a little more because we do have to have a growth mindset. And uh, we're all like people in education. What I've learned is that um, the people that I've come across in all my years when I was either coaching or colleagues and networking, the people that I find that are some of the most effective teachers are the people who are always working on their craft or always looking for ways to improve or uh, changing with the times or whatever is presented in front of them. So I, I think that, um yes, I have to be thoughtful about that, but I know that I've been thinking and I'm like, I know I can find a way to um incorporate that into something that we're already doing. Because the last thing a teacher would want is for me to say, And we're doing something else again. (laughs) You know, I'm going to add something more to your plate. I've been getting better about uh, looking at it. How can we improve on what we're already doing? And how can we, and what's the plan? Let me know what makes sense. Yes, they have to be part of that conversation. And they have to be part of the decision in that. And I will just pose it as, what do you think? Let's talk about it. And If we were to go into this direction, what do we need to do? What supports? Uh, Are we hesitant? Why? Do you know what I, so yes, there's a lot of lead up to that, but I've learned in my my one year as principal that eventually it goes from, it's too much work. You know, we fear the unknown. And sometimes it's like, when you think of a principal coming to you about something new, it's like something else to add that I'm thinking about like, oh, we're doing this great thing. And let's think about how we can make it better. Any ideas? Well, I have one too. Let's think about this one too. So just being part of the conversation. I think people um feel more empowered and respected that I I always say, well, if we can't, if we're not buying into this, then maybe this is not the right time. Or like maybe we can visit this later because we need to do it right. And we're not just not doing it to check off a box.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. I think that's yeah. it was very strategic of you. Um and it, you know, it speaks to your your many, many, many years of of teaching experience and kind of what what will resonate, what will, you know, be kind of like greenlit by by teachers, you know, because you need their their buy-in. And, mm-hmm. and then also to like not just think about trying to push an agenda um, mm-hmm. as a principal, but also what is the agenda of of the teachers? I think, you know, as a baseline, it should be to, to grow, right? To to yes. be open to new opportunities. Um, to improve, you know, your craft, like you said, um, because whether they're proactively doing it of their own volition, mm-hmm. or they need a nudge, which you know is one of your many tasks, <laughs> mandates as a principal, uh, you know, a gentle nudge um, to, you know, go beyond or to discover something new and how they approach it. But yeah, all of that is is um, you know really it can it can be tricky uh, with how you set up that, that conversation or how you, you push things in motion. But one thing that came to mind, um, was actually, um, like when you mentioned about like the, the beloved community and how there's already a certain discourse that has been exposed and has been implemented, uh, in your school community and you're in some ways trying to leverage that or to kind of like streamline, right. Kind of say like, oh, this is something related and actually, and it'll it'll deepen the substance, you know. It'll it, it'll come together in interesting and exciting new ways. Um, I think of like this this imagery co- comes into my head of like a kind of merging streams, you know, like river outlets, who are just kind of you know, it's, they, they 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 seem separate, and then suddenly they kind of merge together to form a larger stream. But then ultimately, those streams go out to a larger source, which would be the ocean. And so I think constantly thinking about these different pathways of like the the discourse of like why it's important, yes. kind of what's the flow, the speed of the river that's going through, and ultimately keeping an eye out for that end goal of like well what's really kind of waiting for us at the very end. Um, I think that's the kind of exercise in thinking more globally as well that um, would be. Um, yeah maybe helpful I like that. As continue, yeah as you continue this this thought process because you know all good things come in time so never to rush it but also you know definitely kind of allying or like joining with other like, pre-existing conversations concepts that are um you know readily accepted and so and then you scaffold it you know like like, like any good teacher would do right
1: scaffolding yes
0: of course um, so you know i I wanted to ask an, another question. um and this one is uh, I, I find this one always very interesting uh, okay. to because like each each guest kind of approaches it differently. um it's it's a it's a recommendation. It's a book or film recommendation. And um, you know, given the context of our conversation, you know the 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 little bit of research that you were doing just about like oh, what is what is global citizenship exactly? Um, Is there a book or film that you have, you know, either read or watched recently or something that you come back to quite frequently that you believe would be important for someone to 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 engage with uh, if they're aspiring to be a global citizen?
1: Um, I could only speak. uh, And the answer that I'm giving to you is based on my um, experience. Um, and what I know, um, so be um, immigration. The concept of immigration is a, a, um something that is a a concept that is very near and dear to me, and it's, it's shaped. It's pretty much shaped who I am today, and a lot of the decisions that I make professionally and pro- and personally. Uh, I would say I would recommend uh, the movie. It's an eighties movie. It's called Sweet Fifteen. And, um, I actually used to show the movie to my sixth graders, um, in parts, and because it talks about the 1980s, um, law of amnesty law, which was by Ronald Reagan. And that was an actual law that, um, it allowed people who were living in this country legally for X amount of years to become, um, um, to get their green card back then. They used to call it the green card to become a you know, resident of the US. And that's how my parents became um, legal. And then that's how we became legal. So and I actually um, working at community prep, I became comfortable after a couple of years when I would show the movie telling the students about my journey. And you would be surprised how how many parents share with me, even when I was when I was a teacher, their um, child's teacher, Now, as a principal, I've been asked if I can write letters on their behalf because they're going to immigration court. And so like that movie had a big impact. And it's and I'm not going to tell you about the movie, because at first, when you start watching it, you're going to be what is why I really recommend it. Why is Natalia recommending that girl is a little snob and she's spoiled, but you'll see her journey. And um, it was a really nice movie. And also um, another one. Mary Full of Grace. Um, I think that one is mostly in Spanish, but they have the subtitles in English. That one came out in the 2000s. And that one is about a girl, Mary, who starts off living in Colombia and has to um, come to the United States. And that one, I would I would not show to my students because that's an adult movie, because the concept of immigration and um the cho- it gets into the top, um, makes you really think about like some of the tough decisions that sometimes people have to make because of their circumstances and um sacrifices. And sometimes people are, need to get out from where they are. And it talks about um how a girl gets involved in the drug trafficking world so she can immigrate to the United States. And we'll leave it at that.
0: Thank you so much. That 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 sounds um very very relevant to the conversation that we've been having. This through line of immigration of, in many ways, you know, overcoming the odds, kind of being resilient, persevering, um, valuing education, um, mm-hmm. reaching out to community for that support, um, because you know sometimes support's not going to be just raining from the sky, um, oh, and definitely. yeah, and then just. Making sure that um, yeah you're supported along the along the journey. So um, those are really excellent recommendations, movie recommendations, um, and uh, I appreciate you for taking this time to to share your journey um, and also to be so open and receptive to the the idea of global citizenship to kind of see where where that where that leads to. And um, you know definitely we'll continue to be in touch and correspond if you have any you know further ideas or that you want to bounce off uh, of someone who, you know, really thinks about this concept pretty much on like a daily basis, because um, it's not just the thinking or intellectualizing of it, but I think more importantly, it's how it's applied, how it's lived or how it manifests in, you know, the, the structures around us. And, um, and so I'm excited that you have, um, you know, given some thought to it and, you know, we'll see where it goes, you know, where this river, river leads us. So um, I wanted to give you the last um, the last words to kind of close off our conversation. Any any final thoughts? Uh, quick comments? Whatever you feel like you'd like to to share.
1: Um, I appreciate um you inviting me, and I'm grateful. Um, this is the first time I've done a podcast, and um, you invited me into this podcast has really made me reflect. And when I came in this morning to Um, join the podcast. I had no idea it was going to take this route, and the conversation, and I appreciate that because it's bringing me back to like think about the things that I'm so like. Sometimes when things get tough, like you lose sight of what you, how blessed I have been, and like where I am in this space, and that the problems I have, I'm very fortunate that those are the problems that I have because, uh, there are other problems I could have had that are not as fortunate. So it just made me very grateful for where I am right now in my life, even though things are a little hectic. Um, I'm those, I know those things will work themselves out and I have a great appreciation for my mom who passed away and it was just, um, it's going to be 10 years in November. So it just made me think a lot about her and like, I know how proud she would be and just like all the sacrifices and everything she did. So I thank you for that, Scott. And, um, I think the work that you're doing through this is wonderful. And I, I, I don't know. It's just, thank you for that. It's I'm like getting very emotional and choked up, but um, we'll continue to talk. And um, I will, uh, in any way that I can help, (laughs) help you promote and put this out there. Let me know if there's anything I can do, because I think what you're doing is having such an impact on people. It had an impact on me.
0: Thank you so much, Natalia, for joining me on this podcast and sharing your story of overcoming hardships, of persevering, of learning how to navigate two different cultures and to find yourself uh, in such an incredible place where you can really positively impact the lives of others, uh, many of whom have um, or who are experiencing similar backgrounds uh, of, uh, you know, immigrants coming from one country to the U.S., and how you can support them and really empathize with them. I find that to be so powerful, and the words that you shared about the, you know, the importance of our actions and the impact that they have on others and recognizing our interconnectedness with Communities and finding ways to empower students by tapping into that community. These are all really important considerations for uh, what's to come uh, in your continued efforts to build a strong community at your school as principal and to consider incorporating some of the ideas of global citizenship into the fabric of your school. So, I wish you the best of luck and I hope to have you on the, con- uh, on the podcast to have another conversation very soon. Thank you so much.